Father, we thank you so very much for this day that you have given us, that we can come together as your church and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, we just ask right now that in Jesus' name, you would send the Holy Spirit to continue just to fill your church. Father, as we turn to your word, we want to just continue in a spirit of worship. We express a desire, Lord, that you would just give us eyes to see and ears to hear because we don't want to miss anything that you have for us today. And I pray, Lord, that you'd continue just to bless us with your presence. Conform us unto the image of Christ and fill us with the hope that comes through the resurrection of Christ. So we give this time to you. We ask your blessing in it. We ask, Lord, that you be magnified and glorified in it. And we ask all these things in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Well, good morning, Rock Harbor. He is risen. Amen. Yes, he is. About six years ago, I read an article about Rod Carew. If anybody know who Rod Carew is, Rod Carew was a major league baseball player who was awesome. Major League Baseball player who played for the Minnesota Twins and the then called California Angels. Yes? I don't know. Some Orange County folks in here. <clears throat> he was one of the finest hitters the game had ever seen. <clears throat> but the article wasn't about Rod Carew's baseball career wasn't about his induction into the Hall of Fame. Wasn't about any of that. The article was about the challenges that Rod Carew faced when he needed a new heart. What happened was that in 2015, while Rod Carew was out playing around to golf, he had a massive heart attack. The kind of heart attack that kills most people. They call it the Widowmaker. But he survived. But he survived to face new challenges. The chief among those challenges was that he needed a new heart. The article goes on to tell about the dark days that Rod Carew faced as he had to have a device implanted into his chest in order to help his heart pump, about how he was coming close to death and he was losing all sense of hope about his future. When then, seemingly at the last moment, Rod Carew received a new heart. And that article about the heart he received is a story in and of itself, but that's not where I'm going today. You see, when Rod Carew received this new heart, it changed, obviously, a lot of things for him. It changed his perspective. It changed his outlook on life. But perhaps, most importantly, it gave him a renewed sense of hope. Of hope. And in that hope, he felt that he had a second chance. As a matter of fact, this is how he puts it. And I quote, Rod Carew said, I'm going to take care of this heart because I've been given a second chance. A second chance. Remember when I read that article, that term second chance struck me because it reminded me of another event that gives us a second chance an event that gives us all the opportunity to receive a new heart, 
a new spiritual heart. And that event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If there's any one event that changes our perspective, that changes our outlook, that gives us hope, it is that, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is what we come to celebrate this morning, his resurrection. In dark and difficult days, and who among us has not faced dark and difficult days? The resurrection of Jesus Christ not only gives us hope, but it gives us an opportunity for a new life, a second chance. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 3 through 9 this morning. 1 Peter 1, picking up in verse 3. If you have your Bibles open there, let's read this together. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so we see here Peter exclaiming almost in this sense of praise, this outburst of praise, if you will. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that? Why this exclamation of praise? Why? Well, this reason. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want us to talk this morning about a couple of things. First, I want us to talk about the reasons we have for hope. The reasons we have for hope. And secondly, I want us to talk about the results of that hope. Where does that hope take us? First, I want us to talk about the reasons we have for our hope. He says here once again, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says here, a living hope. We have a living hope. What is a living hope? Well, a living hope is not a dead hope. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> Maybe you're expecting more from me. I'm sorry. <laughs> but a living hope is exactly that. It's a hope that has a life of vibrancy a freshness to it that goes just beyond the notion or idea that you kind of have hope in something. When we talk about hope, we often talk about hope in the negative sense. It's like, I hope this comes through. I hope they arrive on time. I hope, you know, that check comes in on time, 
right? We often say, speak of hope, usually in kind of a, a cynical or, or negative position. But the hope he's talking about is not that kind of hope. It's, it's a living hope, a hope, the hope that has life, a hope that is rooted in something that is real and genuine, that we can trust. It's the kind of hope that's the difference between if a stranger comes up to you and says, hey, I'll bring your money in five minutes. You're kind of thinking, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I hope they come through. You know, I hope. But you're not really counting on it. Whereas if your wife comes up to you, or if my wife were to come up to me and say, hey, I'll bring your money, that money to you in five minutes, that's as good as gold. I know my wife. I know her character. I know who she is. If she says she's going to do something, I trust that she's going to do it. This is living hope. It's a hope that has life. It's a hope that's rooted in trust, in faith, in a belief in something that is real, built on a solid foundation. This is the kind of hope. And what is that solid foundation for us? It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The simple truth of the matter is this. Any structure is only as good as the foundation on which it is built. We know this to be true. You don't have to be a contractor. You don't have to be an architect. You don't have to be an engineer to know that foundations matter. Poor foundation, poor structure. Solid foundation, well, you've got the opportunity for a solid structure. As somebody who's born and raised in California and grew up in Southern California, I've been through more than one earthquake. I know what an earthquake is. It's not a common. When I was living down in Venice, you feel the ground shaking a little bit, and you go, oh, there's an earthquake. People from out of town would freeze. What is that? It's just an earthquake. Don't mind it. You know the importance of a solid foundation in that kind of situation. I went to school at Cal State Northridge, and my final semester was the semester following the Northridge earthquake. January 17th, 1994. Now, I told the first service this, you know, as a point of fact, it's a little bit of a diversion here, but a reason I know, remember that day is because I was married on January 15th, 1994, two days before the Northridge earthquake. Do you know where I was honeymooning? Right here in Morro Bay. <laughs> the inn at Morro Bay. That's where we were. Yeah. Hmm, wonder what my future held for me. I remember going back to school that semester, and you look at some of the buildings that had been condemned. The buildings had, were a mess, but the foundation on which they were on was good. You see the importance of a foundation. We know that any structure is only as stable as the foundation on which it is built. Jesus put it like this. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, a solid foundation. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. Its foundation was solid. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And why did it fall? Because it was built on a poor foundation. 
we know the importance of foundations. And so why this focus on foundations? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a solid foundation on which we build our faith and our hope. For the Christian, it is the resurrection that is the foundation on which we build. You may not know this, but did you know that every single sermon in the New Testament church is reflected in Acts, centers on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's what the church was built on. As a matter of fact, here's how Paul puts it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be the most pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so Paul says, look, if Christ has not been raised, then we have no hope, we have no future. But Christ has been raised from the dead, and because Christ has been raised from the dead, we have a hope, we have a future. So back to Peter. Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, Peter's praise is not the result of wishful thinking. It's not the result of just, I hope this happens, or, you know, maybe this will occur, or something like that. No. Peter's praise is the result of solid evidence that is rooted in eyewitness testimony, it is rooted in personal experience, and it is rooted in the witness of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there are some just bare-bones facts about the resurrection that Scholars of all stripes agree upon historical facts, facts rooted in history regarding the resurrection. And what are those facts? Here's what those facts are. On order of Pontius Pilate, we know that Jesus was crucified and died. We know there was a Pontius Pilate. We know his position. And we know that on his order, Jesus was crucified. And on the cross, he died. The second fact we know is that Jesus' body was entombed by Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea was a historical figure. We know that it was his tomb in which Jesus' body was laid. This tomb was a known location. It was not some mystery spot. They did not spirit his body off to some unknown place. Third, we know that on the Sunday after the crucifixion, Jesus' tomb was found empty by a group of his women followers. And this is an important fact because in the time of this writing, in the time of Jesus and in the first century, the eyewitness testimony of women was invalid in a court of law. Do you know that? Women could not testify. Their testimony was considered invalid. Too emotional. Literally. And so here's the thing. 
if the writers of the New Testament are offering evidence of Jesus' resurrection, if they're making all of this up, they're not going to use women as his followers. They're going to use men because men are going to have more credibility for their argument and not women. People are going to say, women, wait a minute, women, testimony, they, they have no validity. But you see, they weren't interested in kowtowing to the ideas of their time as much as they were simply interested in reporting the facts as they happened. And what are the facts as they happened? Here are the facts. The facts is that all the men were cowering in the house in fear. <laughs> Them's the facts. The women went out to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body for burial. Yeah. That's what happened. But if they wanted to make this up, they wouldn't have reported that fact. It would have weakened their case rather than strengthened it. And then finally, number four, we see that the facts of the resurrection, we know that on order of Pontius Pilate, Jesus was crucified and died. We know that Jesus' body was entombed by Joseph of Arimathea. We know that on the Sunday after the crucifixion, Jesus' tomb was found empty by a group of his women followers. And then finally, we know this. On multiple occasions, Jesus was seen alive by both individuals and large groups. Again, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Notice the pattern in which Paul is giving this. He's giving this because it's a formula. He's, he's talking about, I have received this from reliable witnesses, and I now pass it on to you as one who is reliable. It's given in a testimonial form. He says what? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Cephas being Peter. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. It's almost like Paul is writing there, look, he appeared to more than 500 people at the same time. Most of them are still alive. Some have died. Most are alive. And he's putting it in such a way as this. If you want to go ask them, you can. Go. You can go talk to them. Go see them for yourself. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And this tradition that Paul received, it is believed, and I believe, it's historically accurate to say that Paul received this within five years of Jesus' death and crucifixion and resurrection. Five years is nothing, historically speaking. What is the best explanation for these facts? The best explanation is not that the disciples hallucinated. No. It is not that they saw a ghost. No. It's not that they decided, hey, you know what? We're already started on this ship. Let's just keep going on it. No. That's not the best explanation. Do you know why? Because here's the thing. Every single one of the apostles were martyred for their faith in Jesus. Save John alone. John died a natural death exiled on the island of Patmos. 
But all the other apostles were martyred, killed for their belief in Jesus and his resurrection. And here's what I do know. I do know that people will die for what they believe to be the truth. But nobody I know is going to die for what they know to be a lie. And yet every single one of them was willing to go to their grave, trusting in Jesus. So what's the best explanation for these facts? Jesus is risen from the dead. That is the best explanation for these facts. And I'm going to tell you something right now. This fact changes everything. Why does it change everything? It changes everything because it changes our perspective on life, on purpose, on meaning, on death, on our future. It changes our outlook. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we see everything about us. And the reason I say that is because we are a culture that is obsessed in many ways with death. Now, you would never know because we as a culture do everything we can to hide death in a corner. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to deal with it. And so we hide it into a corner. Rather, it tell, we know we're in a, a culture obsessed with death because we're a culture that is obsessed with youth, with youthfulness. Everything we do to try and keep ourselves young, to keep ourselves from facing the fact of what our future holds for us. You know, I found it interesting. I was reading this article about how the wealthiest often spend their money, the wealthiest among us. In the last hundred years, advances in medicine have been adding two years to the average lifespan every decade, every 10 years, which is pretty remarkable, although the last couple years during the pandemic has been pretty hard. But apparently for many people, that is not enough. There are attempts to accelerate life expectancy, especially among the rich and powerful. Here's what we know about a few of them. First, Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison has spent $430 million on anti-aging research and spent $200 million on his cancer institute at the University of Southern California. He often quotes to those around him as saying, death never made any sense to me. Well, Jesus didn't like it either. That's why he rose from the dead. <laughs> In 2014, Google founders Sergey Brin and Larry Page announced a $1.5 billion research center. They launched Calico, a life extension company focusing on genetic research and the development of pharmaceuticals targeting diseases associated with aging. And in 2016, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos and other investors gave $116 million to Unity Biotechnology, whose aim is, quote, targeting cellular mechanisms at the root of age-related diseases. Now, make no mistake. I think it's important that we take care of ourselves, that we care for ourselves, that we want to live a long and healthy life to see our children and grandchildren grow up and to see beautiful ones just grow before us. That's a good thing. But nevertheless, let us not deceive ourselves about this simple fact. All of us will die one day. What does our future hold? Well, the resurrection promises us that it holds a future in Christ. 
We see the reasons for hope. What are the results of hope? The results of hope. Look, when we consider the apostles and the impact the resurrection had on them, the before and after is striking. What were the apostles doing after Jesus was crucified? They were in hiding. They were in hiding. And the reason they were in hiding, they were hiding in a house with locked doors. And the reason they were in hiding, because their reasoning was simple. If the Jewish leadership can have Jesus crucified, it can have us crucified as well. And so they are in fear for their lives. And this is how we see it in John chapter 20. On John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that is the Sunday after the crucifixion, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When they had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. They were actually, the word here for glad is actually overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I want you to consider this fact. The disciples, after Jesus was crucified, went into hiding. They went into seclusion. They locked the doors. They were with each other, and they were in fear for their own lives. And then on that Sunday, after the resurrection, that evening after, think about this, the women in the morning go and discover the tomb empty. The Jesus and, or not Jesus, but, but Peter and John run there and find, and it's empty, and they're scratching their heads. What could this be all about? And, and later that evening, they're locked in the house. Locked in the house. In fear. In doubt. Their, um, their hopes crushed. Their future uncertain. And then what happens? Jesus makes his appearance among them and says, Peace be with you. And he stands before them and he shows them his wounds. And they touch him, and they marvel at him, and they say, what? <laughs> and they're overjoyed. What can take, what can take this fearful group of scared men who have no hope and no future and turn them into on Fire proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ who are unafraid of the leadership and unafraid of what anybody else is going to do to them that would lead them to even be martyred for their faith. Do you know what makes that change? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what makes that change. That's what changes our life. That's what changes our perspective, our future, and gives us hope. That is the foundation on which we build. And so, we see here that the resurrection should have the same impact on us that it had on them, and that it completely changes our perspective and gives us a number of things. First, we see that the resurrection gives us true joy. True joy. Notice what Peter says here in verses 6 and 7. He says, in this you rejoice. In what? In the fact that Jesus is risen, that you have a living hope, and that you have a future in heaven. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
true joy. He's, Peter's saying, he's saying, look, I know that many of you have faced various trials. I know that many of you have faced difficulties, even persecution for your faith. And yet, despite that persecution, you have true joy. Why is that? You have true joy because Jesus is risen from the dead, and you have a future in that. Even if your current circumstances are difficult, you have a future. We have true joy. A joy not rooted in our current circumstances. And make no mistake, I know that some people here have been through ringer, been through the ringer, been through difficult times. It could, it could be related to the, the winter we went through. It can be related, maybe it's a health issue, a financial issue, or whatever the case may be, whatever current circumstances you find yourself in that would discourage you and dishearten you, I want to tell you something right now. I want to lift your spirits and give you a, a view of the future and a hope because Jesus is risen from the dead. That is the future that you have. All of us are going to face challenges, every single one. Jesus said we would. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, trials, tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And he has overcome the world because he has risen from the dead. So our perspective has changed because we have true joy as a result, but we also have true salvation, true salvation. Notice what he says here in verses 3 through 5. All right. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because he has risen, we have what? We now have an inheritance. An inheritance. That is something promised for us. All right? God has left us something. In other words, the creator of the universe is giving us an inheritance, a future. And what is it about this future that we have? Well, I'll tell you what. It's imperishable. It cannot be in any way dimmed or soiled or taken away. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you. That is your future. You have an inheritance from God. A promise. And he will deliver on that promise. And why do I know he will deliver on that promise? Because Jesus is risen from the dead. And so we have true salvation. Nothing can steal the salvation we have in the risen Christ. Nothing can take it away. There is nothing in this world that can dim it or soil it or stain it or take it away. No matter what we go through in this world, nothing can take what God has given us in Christ. And how do I know that? Jesus is risen from the dead. That's how I know that. And so... We have a true joy, we have a true salvation, but we also have true purpose and meaning. True purpose and meaning. Because Christ is risen, our lives take on greater depth, character, and meaning as we live for him. Look, every single culture in all times deals with what I call the large questions of life. It doesn't matter when you were born, where you were born, we all ask the same big questions. And these big questions aren't, what pair of shoes am I going to be wearing today? Although that is an important question. No. I know some of you are saying, no, that's really a big question, Darren. That is a question of life. But no, the big questions are this. The large questions are, where do I come from? What are my origins? 
am I really just the result of million years of evolutionary accidental stew just coming together? Is that what I am? Where do I come from? What are my origins? The second question is, what is my purpose? What am I here for? Am, am, is life just random? Do, do I just make random choices? Do I, do I have any purpose? Any reason for being here? The third big question, how do I find meaning? How do I find meaning in this life? It, you know, what is morality? What is my ethic? What do I really believe in? Is there any grounding for the morality that I have? And then the fourth big question, where am I going? What is my future? Do I just end? Do I just cease to exist? No. Because Jesus is risen from the dead. Let me tell you something. Your origin is found in God. You were created by God in his image. You reflect his goodness. You are not just some random accident. Second, you have a purpose. You have been given gifts and talents by God. You have a reason for your existence. God has a call in your life. He's given you these gifts so that you can use them to glorify his name, to build up his church, to do good in this world. Second, you have meaning. There's meaning in life. You don't create meaning. If all of us created our meaning, we'd be at each other's throats. No, you have meaning rooted and found in God, in his word. There is an ethic that you follow. And then finally, you don't cease to exist. God created you for a future. You have heaven. You have hope. Why? Why do I know this? Because Jesus is risen from the dead. So Rod Carew found himself in a position of needing a new heart. And when he received that new heart, he found that he had new hope, new understanding. Above all, he felt like he had been given a second chance. Who here wants a second chance? We all want a second chance. Jesus is giving you a second chance today. And he's going to give you that second chance because he is risen from the dead. If you want that second chance, then when they come up to pray, you come up and you pray with them. But you come up with confidence because Jesus is risen. He gives you a hope and a future. He gives you meaning and purpose in this life. Above all, Jesus, he is risen. Because he is risen, he gives you a second chance. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you so very much <clears throat> for what we have in Jesus Christ because he is risen from the dead. This is not some fanciful flight, Lord. We know we trust in the apostolic testimony. And so, Lord, we come to you this day and we put our hope and our faith in you. Because you are risen, we too shall rise. And so, Lord, I pray that you would encourage your people with these words, that you would strengthen their hearts and that you would bless them with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And, Lord, help us in all our ways to seek to glorify and magnify your name and to build up your church and encourage your people. We thank you, Lord. We give you praise. Bless your people this day, I ask. And we ask these things in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.